I am healed. That's right. I am healed indeed. Welcome to episode 101. That's right. The official episode 101 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. This is, of course, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now, if you're wondering what that intro was about, that is, of course, because the previous episode was episode 100.5 because I was sick, so I only recorded about half an episode. Well, we're back. I am healed and ready for a full episode. And of course, it's been a long two weeks uh, with actually a fair amount of news to cover. So let's get right in there. Now, if you're a returning listener, of course, welcome back. And if you're new around here, allow me to introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. Why not head over to the Bluebird app and give me a follow there. Reach out to me there. I'd love to interact with you. If you have questions, comments, concerns, topics, or inquiries, or anything else that you'd like to bring to the show uh, as it relates to Overwatch, the Overwatch League, Overwatch 2, of course, um, or Blizzard games, or video games in general, please drop me a line over on Twitter. Uh, you can DM me. You can tweet at at me whatever you want to do there i'd love to interact with you so go ahead and do that enough with all that though because we've got a big show to get to so let's jump back in there you can of course find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, etc etc so give us a follow leave us a review tell your friends and all that jazz and of course i also encourage you if you enjoy what you hear on this podcast to head on over to the ready set pwn podcast your premier source for everything vancouver titans and toronto defiant and of course uh, for the end of February there and the month of March, we have a series of interviews going up. Uh, if you go check out our most recent episodes of Ready, Set, Pwn, you will find interviews with head of the Overwatch League, Sean Miller, the general manager of the Vancouver Titans, Baroy, and in fact, as of recording this, tomorrow morning, so by the time you're listening to this, uh, I could actually be in the recording uh, with Kasora's head coach of the Toronto Defiant, and then, of course, also recording this week, we'll be interviewing Papa Punk. Of course, that is uh, the father of Punk, the new the new Titan, uh, uh, going to be, of course, the tank for the Vancouver Titans. And then finally, we'll be wrapping up our interview series with Till Wetterman. Now, who's that, you might ask? Well, that is Senior Director of Global Team Operations for overactive media which is of course the parent company that owns the toronto defiant uh yes that's right in the past we had interviewed adam grazen who is currently interim ceo of the company um he was previously i believe cso something like that um but uh as he has stepped in to fill the shoes of the ceo uh he was unavailable to meet with us so he pointed us in the direction of till and of course we will be having our first interview with till coming up as well so definitely check out the ready set pwn podcast where you can find all those interviews and of course general talk and discussion about the overwatch league but specifically about canadian overwatch league in the vancouver titans and the toronto defiant but enough with all that you're here for the one man watch point so please Listen on for episode 101. I will not falter. Now, before we get into the news segment of the show, I, of course, want to hit up a couple PSO, PSOs, PSAs that uh, you should know about with regards to Overwatch. The first one is, of course, the new Overwatch League skins are out now. You can, of course, head on over to the store in Overwatch 2, and you can head on over to that Overwatch League tab where you can find all your favorite team skins. That's right. They retired the old team skins, I think, for the past couple of weeks. They've been promoting to uh, get get your skins while you still could because they've now phased them out. And of course, the new team skins are available. So you can find the Soul Infernal, the Vegas Eternal, and of course, the new Western team, the Los Angeles Valiant, uh, amongst all of your other favorite team skins in there. 
Also, in that same vein, we have, of course, the One Punch Man collaboration now ongoing. That's right. It went live today, I believe, March 7th, and it runs through April 6th. We'll actually talk a little bit more about the One Punch Man collab with Overwatch 2 uh, in the news section of the show. But there are obviously some cool new skins and goodies that go along with that One Punch Man collab. So get in there, get your wins, and of course you'll earn some rewards, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit here. Now our final PSA of the day is a lesser known one and a lesser reported on one that uh, I haven't really seen yet, but I think I will start seeing more of as we get closer to uh, March 14th. That's right. Uh, They announced in a uh, developer interview kind of dealio that I believe may have been today, may have been yesterday. Um, They announced that they're introducing a competitive mystery heroes mode. So of course it'll be competitive just like uh, the regular competitive modes, but assumedly it will be mystery heroes. So they will randomly assign you a hero and you'll have to see how you do and see how you can make it work. I'm actually quite excited for this. I do enjoy mystery heroes. Um, I'm a firm believer of uh, mystery heroes being the best way to learn how to play a uh, hero Uh, for myself i know i personally with some heroes i was not a big fan of them i just didn't like their play style i couldn't quite grasp the controls something like that Um, and in every case that i ever had where i was having that struggle i would play mystery heroes and once i had a round where not only did i get that hero but I managed to actually get a couple kills or or pick up some steam with that hero. After that, I always found suddenly it clicked and I was able to comprehend that hero and really work with it. So I know, for instance, I used to just absolutely despise me. I mean, everyone despises me. I still despise me. But I used to also not be able to play her at all. And I really struggled. And then one time in Mystery Heroes, I got her. I kind of strung together a couple little snipe shots. I managed to figure out how to use the wall and how to freeze myself and everything like that. And ever since then, it was like, oh, okay, I get this now. And I can actually play this uh, character somewhat competently, at least in some lower ranks. But I digress. Um, the same thing kind of happened with Sigma, where I Sigma, I actually had a really hard time wrapping my head around all his different controls. Um, and then eventually, one time, I had a successful tank run on Sigma on Mystery Heroes. And lo and behold, now I actually quite enjoy Sigma. And I, I do like playing Sigma quite a bit. So anyways, point is, competitive Mystery Heroes arriving March 14th. I'm a little bit excited for that. And I'm excited to get back into Overwatch. I've actually, uh, to go off on a bit of a tangent... Um, Although at the start of this uh, this season three, I had been diving in more than I had uh, with season two and been been playing more already. Um, that interest has kind of waned. Now a big part of that is because I actually have been stretching my wings and randomly decided to give Fortnite a, the old college try and really got into it. Um, I've actually completed the battle pass in Fortnite w- without purchasing the premium reward or premium path. Anyways. Uh, it's been a wild ride and I've really been enjoying it, but I've also found that I've kind of wound down a little bit on that and I'm looking forward to getting back into Overwatch 2 and the timing really just works out with the One Punch Man collab being on right now and then this competitive Mystery Heroes mode uh, launching as well. So I'm excited to get back in there and really give things a try and get in on Season 3. Now, with all of that said, I think we can finally move on to the news. So, our first article is coming to us by way of DottieSports.com, this time by Scott Robertson, posted back on February 23rd. And of course, this article in particular, you will no doubt have heard a lot about it already. Um, So I'm going to go through it, I'll give a few little thoughts, but I'm not going to talk about it too much, just because, again, like I say, 
everyone under the sun has covered this at this point. This is, you know, in essence, old news at this point. It is just about as far back as I would go uh, in, ter- in terms of my every two-week recording schedule. But I do want to highlight it because it is important. So this article reads, The guard owners repeatedly, repeatedly, reportedly seeking to sell or shut down LA gladiators and gorillas. Kronk East, oh, sorry, Kronk Sports and Entertainment, not eSports, Kronk Sports and Entertainment, the ownership group behind the guard, the Los Angeles Gladiators and the Los Angeles Gorillas, is reportedly seeking, quote, a suitable buyer for both its Overwatch League and Call of Duty League franchises. Only these two teams will remain operational underneath the following, underneath the company, sorry, following the mass layoffs reported by numerous now former employees from the guard yesterday, according to a report by James Fudge for the eSports Advocate. The former employees reported that the entire content, social, talent, and creative teams under the guard have been let go. The OWL and CDL franchises will reportedly only remain operational until a suitable buyer can be found for both the teams or the franchise slots themselves, or until the 2023 season ends for each team. If a buyer is not found, the teams will be shut down, according to the sources who spoke to TEA. Following the announcement of layoffs, many fans of the Guard began to wonder what would happen to both the franchise teams as well as the Guard's other esports divisions. Outside of the LA-based Activision Blizzard League franchises, the Guard also competes in Valorant and Apex Legends and previously Halo. Given the report, both these rosters could find themselves entering free agency soon. The Valorant roster competes in the North American Challengers League and is considered a strong contender to make it to the make it to Ascension and potentially earn a two-year promotion to VCT Americas. The Guard had previously applied for Valorant partnership, but did not successfully acquire a slot. CDL franchise spots have changed ownership hands in the past, including ones in Los Angeles. 100 Thieves purchased the LA Thieves slot, previously owned by Immortals Gaming Club, bracket Optic Los Angeles, prior to the start of the 2021 season. Following the Optic Gaming slash Envy merger, a slot previously owned by NRG became available and was acquired by New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft via Oxygen Esports, eventually becoming the Boston Breach. So, like I said there, I wanted to kind of touch on this story because this is very big news and has huge implications on the Overwatch League, of course, as well as, you know, CDL. Um but also because it had huge implications for everyone employed by the Guard and these organizations, right? Um, It was shocking, earth-shattering in the Twitterverse uh, surrounding esports when all of this broke, Um, not in the least because the uh, Kronk Sports and Entertainment Group supposedly ain't really short for cash. So it very much became a big shock and uh, it seemingly was not communicated or uh, predicted well at all by any of the management and things like that. So there were people who had just, you know, moved to Los Angeles and simply were laid off three days after that. Um, things like that, just all around really awful to hear. Um, and overall, I mean, this kind of thing is a failure in management and leadership. Uh, that's what it really comes down to is uh, is the ownership group here failing the, the people that it was uh, supporting for however many years or in whatever way. So really, this is too bad to hear. Um, very curious to hear what happens at the end of the league, especially if the Los Angeles Gladiators, well, I was going to say, especially if they see some success this season, truly it doesn't matter. They could win the whole league and that would probably change nothing. Um, it's really too bad to see this, uh, but I am very curious to see what happens if the league steps in and maybe has to purchase the team themselves and how that all gets managed and everything like that, um, or what exactly happens there. But overall, 
bad news bears for the Los Angeles Gladiators. And of course, this was definitely uh, known to be one of the more successful teams, right? With with one of the, uh, in, in terms of the business overall, not necessarily performance-wise, but uh, in terms of the organization they were running, the fan base they had, uh, you know, sales and things like that. But overall, that stuff can't hold you down. So just a shame to hear, and we will find out what happens with them later in the season, towards the end of the season, probably. Moving on from there, we're going to head on over to Dexerto, this time with an article by Luis Mira, posted on March 3rd. Now, I wanted to bring this one up as a bit of a PSA, but it is a truly an article. It's a little bit long. Um, but like I say, I wanted to get this one out there now, because in two weeks' time, we will find out, uh, or we will actually be witnessing a lot of what this article is going to talk about. Um, so I wanted to get this out ahead of it. So, you know, if you're interested in the Pro-Am tournament in the West, you can, of course, uh, take a look. Make sure you plan your schedule around the games and uh, definitely watch what's going on. This article reads, Overwatch League 2023 Pro-Am. Schedule, Owl Teams, and Stream. As the Overwatch League prepares for its biggest changes in recent years, th- uh, sorry, teams in the West will be able to get an early taste of the action in the Pro-Am tournament, a three-week tournament with $100,000 on offer. The 13 West franchises will be joined by seven contenders teams determined by qualifiers in North America and EMEA in this exciting new competition that will put the new OWL rosters to the test before the start of the season. Initially, the West region was supposed to include 14 franchise teams, but the Dallas Fuel announced on March 6th that the team will be will compete in the East region in 2023. Spoilers for another article we're about to talk about shortly here. Below is everything you need to know about the Overwatch League 2023 Pro-Am Tournament. This article will be updated as more information is revealed. Overwatch League 2023 Pro-Am Stream. All OWL Pro-Am matches will be streamed on the Overwatch League YouTube page. Overwatch League 2023 Pro-Am Schedule and Format. The tournament will kick off on March 23rd with the group stage featuring four groups of five teams who will face off... uh, Sorry, who will face each other once. The top two teams from each group will then progress to a single elimination bracket, with the winner taking home the lion's share of a $100,000 prize pool. The seven contenders teams will be determined by qualifiers in North America and EMEA, which are already underway. Blizzard is yet to announce the number of teams that will qualify per region. They've then got the actual teams listed here. So, of course, we have the Atlanta Reign, the Boston Uprising, the Florida Mayhem, the Houston Outlaws, the Los An- sorry, the London Spitfire, the Los Angeles Gladiators, the Los Angeles Valiant, who currently have no roster identified, the New York Excelsior, who also have no roster identified, the San Francisco Shock, the Toronto Defiant, Vancouver Titans, the Vegas Eternal, and the Washington Justice. Now, all of the contenders teams, though, those seven contender slots are all TBD, of course, as we wait to find out who will fill those slots. So wanted to highlight this, as I said, as kind of a PSA, kind of a, um, you know, heads up, this is coming. Still a couple weeks out. I'm sure uh, I'll have an article or two about it uh, on my next episode, of course, as that episode will go up uh, just, I believe, the day before March 23rd. It'll probably go up on, I think the 22nd is the Wednesday. So it'll go up just before uh, the Pro-Am tournament kicks off. Um, so you will have a little bit of notice there, but I wanted to get ahead of it, of course, uh, and really drum up the hype because this is exciting. I'm very excited to, uh, see these teams in action. Um, not only of course the owl teams, but also bringing the contenders teams into the loop, uh, get to kind of expand the knowledge base, expand the, uh, the view of what I have seen out of the Overwatch League in the past and thus far, of course. Now, our next article 
we're finally getting into some recent news here. I mean, March 3rd, really, that that is quite recent. That was just the end of the last week. Um, but we're going to head on over to dotesports.com again, this time with an article by Liz Richardson posted yesterday, March 6th, or by the time you're reading this, two days ago. And this article reads, Dallas Fuel heading to the East Region for the 2023 Overwatch League season. They're trading the Lone Star State for a facility closer to home. After winning the Overwatch League's 2022 championship, the Dallas Fuel is moving that shiny trophy to an entirely different continent. The team announced today that it will be competing in the league's East region in 2023, relocating from the West region it has called home for the past five years of competition. While this change allows the Fuel's players to spend more time in their homeland, South Korea, it's the latest in a series of massive changes that could affect the team's fan base. Dallas co-owner Hastro explained the logic behind the Fuel's big move in a video posted to Twitter on March 6th. For the past two years of the Overwatch League, players and staff have been based out of Dallas, Texas. Though this was optimal for live events, Fuel players were, quote, away from home for several years, Hastro said. Allowing them to play out of South Korea was a way to support the team's mostly new roster. Hastro noted the Overwatch League and the Fuel are in a, quote, period where we have a lot of transition, end quote. Early in the offseason, Dallas management opted to allow all of the 2022 championship roster to become free agents, letting them seek opportunities with other teams. As a result, many players accepted offers from other squads, and the fuel was forced to rebuild. On the league side, much of the East region is still in flux after a broken partnership with NetEase effectively removed Overwatch 2 from servers in mainland China. Teams like the Hangzhou Spark and Seoul Infernal are just beginning to announce roster additions. Other teams have yet to publicly announce a single change. As of now, this swap in region means the Dallas Fuel will compete alongside the Guangzhou Charge, Hangzhou Spark, Chengdu Hunters, Seoul Infernal, bracket formerly known as the Philadelphia Fusion, Seoul Dynasty, and Shanghai Dragons. The Los Angeles Valiant, which, was, which previously competed in the East for the past several years, will return to the West in 2023. For Dallas fans who are already reeling after a successful offseason, a uh, stressful offseason, sorry, Hastro offered a crumb of hope in the video, management, quote, fully plans, end quote, to bring the team back to Dallas in the future. The Overwatch League season begins in the West with a Pro-Am tournament on March 23rd. All regions, including the East, begin the full season on April 27th. So, this one, another another story that kind of broke the internet, or at least the uh, Overwatch League scene when this news struck. Um, definitely not something that I think most people predicted or saw coming or expected in any way um of all the teams that would move i think most people uh i mean if if i had to place bets on which teams would not move to the east my two picks if i got two picks if i got three picks i'll give myself three picks i'm just kind of thinking if i got three picks dallas field would have been one of my top two picks um, I think that the two teams that would not move from their market at all, no shadow of a doubt in my mind, would have been San Francisco Shock because of the success they had and everything they've done. And then the Dallas Fuel because of the success they had, but also because they were the league champs. You know, you, you always kind of assume that means some level of stability and and some expectation in some way, right? If If not in performance, at least... Uh, in support and fan base and that kind of thing. Um, I'm thinking if I had to pick a third, I would probably pick one of the Canadian teams because I would be shocked to see one of those teams make such a drastic change, already being isolated, you know, in in a lot of ways, in sort of a region on their own. Um, 
but being close enough to still be, you know, counted in the in the North American region and obviously take part in everything North American, that kind of thing. Um, probably Toronto would be the last one to move. Um, but anyways, my point is, I don't think anybody really saw this coming. And it really did seem to kind of drop out of the blue. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I was at work, I was on Twitter. And I just happened to see this this tweet, I can't remember if I saw a, it retweeted by the Overwatch League or if it was just a retweet by someone uh, retweeting this this video Hastro put up uh, from the Dallas Fuel account talking about this. And I looked at it and I kind of scrolled past. And then I went back and I tapped on it and I kind of, I legitimately did one of those, you know, dog sideways head tilts when, when dogs are like confused and they like tilt their head. I did one of those and I was like, I had to read the tweet two or three times and then I hit play on the video and I very much was just like in awe confused at what I was watching and what was happening I really didn't believe it and I was trying to think of some way that it could be a prank I was like is this is this you know an account shit posting or is this one of those fake accounts where you know someone makes a, a mock Dallas fuel account instead of the name being Dallas fuel it's fuel it's D-A-L and then the number one and then the rest looks like the Dallas Fuel account or Twitter handle or something like that. I was really looking for some way to poke a hole in this. And then sure enough, I just started reading about it more and even looking in the reply tweets and everything like that. It was just everyone being stunned, shocked, surprised, everything like that. So overall, very shocking. Um, now, obviously, I you know watch Plat Chat uh, every, every week when they post. And they kind of speculated that, uh, you know, this could have easily been a part of the negotiation tactic, right? Um with the fuel and allowing their team to uh, look into free agency and everything like that, this could have been one draw to stay with the Dallas fuel or on the flip side could have definitely been one of the reasons that they allowed their team to explore free agency. They may have told people, I, I feel like it would have broke if they had told their players or, or staff that this was happening largely before or ahead of time, but they definitely could have had conversations that said, you know, where do you want to be? Do you want to be playing in North America or do you want to be back in the East? Uh, you know, if yes, I guess if East, then, Hey, that's where we're going. And if not, then, Hey, you should find another team, something like that. Or it could just be that they signed them and then they made the decision afterwards. Um, I'd be pretty surprised to hear that given they do have like an all Korean team and everything like that. Um, it would be surprising to hear that they all signed up for North American or, uh, region and then they approached the team and said, hey, so you guys are, are all good playing here, but what if we made this really drastic change and you guys were closer to home? So it really, it you know, to me, Hastro's video did seem genuine, sincere, um, and authentic. I think it really seemed like this was a uh, decision that almost they worked with the team or, or came to with the team itself um, and, and they're doing for the betterment of the team. Um, I'm sure it wasn't easy on Hastro. And I mean, Hastro, by all means, uh, Hastro and the Dallas Fuel organization, um, they are one of the, I mean, you know, quote unquote, better organizations in the league, right? They're definitely one of the ones that care. They're definitely one of the ones that uh, uh, really partake and really uh, prop the league up. Um, so it'll it'll be sad to see them go, that's for sure. And obviously, I'm, I'm sad for all the fans that will not be staying up till 4am to watch those games and things like that. But 
Such is the league at this point, right? Expect the unexpected. Uh, you never know when a team's going to up and leave. And then when they're going to up and come back. So it is what it is. Let's move on. And this time we're going to read an article from March 7th by Liz Richardson again on DottieSports.com. And this time, of course, we're going to be talking about the latest patch. This article reads, Overwatch 2's mid-season balance patch brings massive Baptiste buff and new challenges to Season 3. It's a wild day in the Overwatch 2 community for both hardcore players and casual fans who love a good crossover episode. The game's collaboration with One Punch Man launches today and players can complete challenges to unlock cosmetics or purchase additional skins to complete their shiny new collection. Of course, as I mentioned already, we will talk about that in the news upcoming here. Overwatch League fans will also get an, get to update their in-game wardrobes today as new skins launch for multiple teams, especially those who have undergone rebrands or major transitions. The Vegas Eternal and Soul Infernal, formerly the Paris Eternal and Philadelphia Fusion respectively, have introduced completely new color schemes for the upcoming 2023 season. Those skins can be unlocked with Overwatch League tokens. Beyond all the shiny skins, there's still a mid-season balance patch to dig into. While Season 3's mid-season patch isn't as hefty as others have been, and fans will absolutely be critical of the lack of major changes, it does bring interesting tweaks that could shake up the meta. We'll go into the big game and hero changes, but multiple bugs relating to heroes' interactions and maps have also been fixed. The full list of changes can be found in the balance patch notes on the Blizzard forums. General updates. Battle Pass devotees will be happy to see that multiple challenges have been reworked, removed, or updated for easier progression. One of the most contentious challenges which asks players to win five games in arcade mode has been removed. In its place, players will now have to win five games in Mystery Heroes, Deathmatch, or Arcade. It offers a little more wiggle room for those who have no patience for arcade's shenanigans. Here's the full list of challenges, updates, and changes. Challenge, quote, to the victors, win 15 games in unranked or competitive has been removed. Added a new challenge, casual dedication, win 15 games in any unranked mode. Added a new challenge, competitive advantage, win 10 games in any competitive mode. Challenge, coin line, win 5 games in arcade, has been removed. Added a new challenge, change of pace, win 5 games in Mr. Heroes, free for all deathmatch, or any arcade mode. Changed role mastery to win 5 games as each, uh, sorry, win 5 games each as 2 different roles in quick play or competitive play. Now let's get into the hero updates. Firstly, Orisa, Terra Surge, can now be interrupted by Sombra's hack. That's an interesting one. Do I think it's going to have a huge impact? Not really. I think at a very high level of play, it might have more impact because you would actually see uh, DPS players counterpicking Orisa with Sombra. But at the same time, the fact that it's one ability um, and Sombra isn't super powerful right now... I don't think we're going to see too much of an impact from that. Ramatra. Using Annihilation while in Nemesis form refreshes your bonus armor. Uh, having not really played too much Ramatra or against too much Ramatra, I don't know how much that's really going to make a difference. Um, seems like it makes sense. It's, you know, using your Annihilation ability um, in Nemesis form. You know, the, the fact that it, it kind of refreshes your cooldowns in essence. Um, so I feel like that makes sense. Roadhog. Chainhook cooldown now starts when the ability ends instead of at the start, so that's good. A little bit longer of a cooldown on the chainhook. Chainhook cooldown reduced from 8 to 6 seconds. So I feel like they're kind of making it seem like they're changing things here, but it's not really true. Um, you know, it seems a little bit like a net neutral change there, so nothing too exciting there. 
Wrecking Ball. We've got a number of changes for Wrecking Ball here. Wrecking Ball added the hero-specific option, relative aim sensitivity while rolling, added the hero-specific option, relative gyro sensitivity while rolling, which only applies on the Nintendo Switch. Added a timeout indicator for grappling claw located above the ability icon. Okay, so so far, none of these changes really affect much. Uh, the aim sensitivity and gyro sensitivity settings, those are just control settings. Uh, and then, of course, timeout indicator for grappling claw is just something, a visual indicator to let you know when your grappling claw is going to run out, of course. But this final point, minefield arming time increased from 1 to 1.25 seconds. So rather than your mines popping up uh, one second after you drop them as Wrecking Ball, of course, they're going to take slightly longer to pop up and activate. Wrecking Ball specialists will now be able to change the aim sensitivity while rolling around and ca causing chaos. Since there's a timeout for Grappling Claw, developers added a visual indicator so tanks can see when that ability is about to end. There you go. Moving on from there, we have Zarya. The shared cooldown for Particle Barrier and Projected Barrier has been reduced from 11 to 10 seconds. This is a, quote, partial reversion, according to developers of an earlier change that nerfed a few of Zarya's abilities. So this one, I think, is really exciting because I personally really enjoyed the Zarya meta that we had, um, I want to say, at the uh, start of Season 1, maybe partway through Season 1. Um, although I do think Zarya was pretty overpowered back then, um, they nerfed her into the ground and we effectively didn't see her played after that. Um, but I think this, this helps to bring her back, uh, back into the fray, um, could be a little bit of an interesting one overall. It's not a huge change. So will it make that much of an impact, especially at, you know, my ranks? I don't think so, but it could be an exciting step in the right direction. Moving on from there, we go to our damage hero updates. Ash. Bob now prefers to shoot at enemy targets that Ash damages with her rifle. Ash's stalwart companion will now prioritize enemies even if they've been, or sorry, if they've been dinged by her rifle. Quote, we want to enable Ash and Bob to easily assist one another more, developers said. So this is a bit of an interesting one, um, just because of the fact that uh, it's always been a bit of a gamble using Bob. Um, I'm, I've never really been certain how he prioritizes who he go he's going to go after. I always kind of just assumed it was a proximity thing where maybe he's going after the closest person to him. Um, but it's kind of cool that Ash now has that ability to direct him, um, of course, assuming she can land a shot as well. I do wonder if she shoots, uh, you know, towards a character and maybe misses. Does he shoot in the same direction? Or what does he auto-target or auto-prioritize until she shoots someone, right? Um, and also at the same time, you know, if Ash is you know, let's say on Route 66, I'm on the uh, west side of the gas station there, and Bob is on the southern side, and Player X is on the north side. Of course, I have Player X in my line of sight, but Bob doesn't. So if I shoot that player, is Bob going to just start shooting the building, trying to shoot through it? Uh, or will he be smart enough to prioritize a target that's actually visible until maybe... Uh, your target comes into line of sight. It would be interesting to know that, um, but ultimately, I don't think this is going to make too much of a change or impact, but I think it's a cool change. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is actually how Torbjorn works as well. Um, I believe whoever he's shooting at is where his target, uh, his turret prioritizes as well. So, interesting stuff. Hanzo, lunge cooldown decreased from 5 to 4 seconds. A little bit of a buff to Hanzo. May, Blizzard ultimate cast time reduced from 0 0.5 to 0 0.4 seconds. A little bit of a buff for May's ultimate, of course. 
Farah, jump jet movement is now influenced by directional inputs. According to developers and most pheromanes, jump jet used to move Farah forward a bit, which, quote, made the ability feel less responsive when trying to move to the side or backwards. Now, movement is directional. I really don't quite get what they're going for with this. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because... I would definitely say that, yeah, Jump Jet used to push for Farah forward a little bit, um, which, you know, kind of makes sense when you think about her rocket booster pack on her back. But I get the idea, you know, you're pulling backwards and you boost backward, or, and you boost, it's going to make you go backwards just a little bit. The bullet point here is now influenced by directional inputs. Almost makes it sound like if you're pushing forward, she will just launch forward instead of up. Uh, I don't think it means that, though. It just means she will angle forward slightly or angle left slightly. It would be kind of interesting to see how she would play if she launched the same distance but straight across the ground or or <laughs> straight backwards or whatever like that. But obviously that's not what's going on. Anyways, let's move on. Sojourn torso hit volume width increased by 20%. Sojourn's character model was apparently a bit more squirrely than developers anticipated, so they've added a bit more volume to her hitbox. This change applies to how Sojourn is hit, not how she hits other enemies. So they basically are just making her wider, or at least her hitbox, right? Um, so she will be a little more easy to hit, which is interesting. I think uh, they kind of imply that um, because of her body shape, they had it tweaked a little bit more, and now they're just even evening that out. Support hero changes. Baptiste immortali immortality. Immortality field minimum health threshold increased from 10 to 25%. Developers snuck in the patch's biggest buff at the end of the notes, boosting Baptiste's immortality field to a whopping 25%. This means that allies will not only be saved from elimination with immortality field, but they'll also walk out of it with 25% of their initial health instead of only 10%. While professional players will likely not be swapping to Baptiste because of a single ability, this massive change could increase his pick rate at lower player ranks. Now, I personally am a big fan of this Baptiste change, uh, in large part because I love playing Baptiste, um, and I was really into him, uh, I want to say, towards the end of Season 1. Um, and then Season 2, I think they kind of nerfed him a bit, and he was... Oh no, uh, with the release of Kiriko, um, he really kind of became not a solid pick um, because you always pretty much wanted a Kuriko um, and something that paired well with her. Uh, although you, you could argue Baptiste pairs well with pretty much any hero, any support character. But anyways, um, I like Bap a lot and I'm excited for this change. This change will make it so that in my mind, he's quite overpowered. Um, certainly, you know, 10% of a 200 health character is, is 20 health. Uh, that's still less than a hit, and, and they're dead. Um, you boost that to 25%, and that 200 health character is now at 50, 50 health, which is not a melee damage kind of uh, uh, kill, right? So it's very interesting that they're doing this. Uh, this is a, a probably the most significant change they've made here. Um, and I'm excited for it. I'm excited to dive back in. I'm excited to play a little BAP again. Now... With all of that said, it's time to move on to our final news story of the day. We're sticking with Dottie Sports. This time we're jumping back. I think we've already read a story by him. Oh, maybe not. Uh, we're jumping over to Max Michelli, posted on March 7th, with an article that reads, All One Punch Man, Overwatch Skins, Terrible Tornado, Kiriko, Genos, Genji, and more. Or Genos, maybe? Overwatch 2's massive collaboration with the One Punch Man has begun, with four heroes getting special limited edition skins that any fan of manga and anime will most 
assuredly want. Led by a Saitama skin for Doomfist, these skins will be available starting on March 7th, but you'll only be able to get your hands on them until March 6th. Uh, sorry, April 6th, my bad. The skins can be acquired a couple of different ways, but for the most part, you'll need to load up on some Overwatch coins to get these skins. These legendary skins represent some of the most notable characters from One Punch Man, and will be represented by a few of the most popular characters in Overwatch. Along with Saitama, there will be skins for Terrible Tornado, One Punch Man's sidekick, Genos, and the lovably cheesy C-Class Rank 1 professional hero, Moomin Rider. Moomin? Mummin? I think it's Moomin. Here's a list of each Overwatch hero with the character they are getting a skin for. Doomfist, One Punch Man. Kiriko, Terrible Tornado. Genji, Genos. Soldier 76, Moomin Rider. How to get limited one limited time One Punch Man Overwatch skins. Saitama, Ter Terrible Tornado, and Genos are three of the most powerful heroes in the One Punch Man universe, and it shows in the way that those character skins can be obtained in Overwatch 2. Beginning on March 7th, players will be able to purchase those three skins from Overwatch 2's in-game shop as part of a bundle that includes other thematic cosmetics. The Kiriko bundle costs 2,100 coins, Genji's is 1,900 coins, and Doomfist's is 2,500 coins. The cost of each scales with the number of cosmetics they include. Players will also be able to purchase all three characters bundled together at a discounted rate of 4,400 coins, just more than half of what each costs individually. How to get the Moomin Rider skin. Uh, sorry, Moomin Rider Soldier 76 Overwatch skin. As the lone limited time skin that will be earnable through free-to-play means, the legendary Moomin Rider skin will be obtainable in a similar fashion to most free skins. Over the course of the month, players can earn their way to the skin by playing Overwatch 2. In total, there will be six cosmetics that players can unlock by playing games of quick play, competitive, and even arcade modes. You'll need to play 24 games in total to get the Soldier 76 skin, but you'll get a different cosmetic for every four games played. Here's a list of all the free-to-play rewards for Overwatch 2's collaboration with One Punch Man. Four games, Saitama's Fist Weapon Charm. Eight games, Moomin Rider Name Card. Twelve games, Cyclist of Justice Victory Pose for 76. Sixteen games, Justice Crash Highlight Intro for Soldier 76. Twenty games, Boros Weapon Charm. Twenty-four games, Legendary Moomin Rider Soldier 76 Skin. So there you have it. That's the breakdown of the Overwatch 2 cross one punch man collab um of course the interesting thing here is you only have to play these games uh so you have to play 24 games which is nice it means that essentially everyone will have a chance at earning these rewards and of course uh the legendary moomin rider soldier 76 skin i do intend to get this um although i don't think i will spend money on the other skins i i kind of wish they were unlockable in some way uh, even if you had to grind it out quite a bit. But overall, I will work to get this one. Uh, 24 games played is not that much. And on top of that, I believe, although they don't mention it in this article, I believe they're also doing the uh, uh, one win counts as two games. So in theory, if you were to win 12 games in a row, it would count as 24 games, right? You would be able to cut this number in half. Do I think that's going to happen for me personally? Definitely not. Definitely not. I am not a carry, uh, and therefore it is out of my control, so I know I will not get this in 20 uh, or in 12 games. I'm hopeful that I'll get it in, let's go 20 at least, <laughs> maybe 22. Heck, I would take 23 games instead of 24, but overall, we'll see what happens here. I'm just going to grind it out and see how long it takes. Now that's it for the One Punch Man collab. And with that, we're going to move on over. Once again, it's been a little while, 
But we're going to head on over to the Overwatch League 2023 offseason trade tracker. I still have much to learn. All right. So as I mentioned, it's been a hot minute, right? We haven't had a ton of announcements coming from the Overwatch League in terms of player signings and things like that. Um, honestly, kind of since, you know, I feel like we had a pretty steady flow from almost September through January. Um Everything kind of culminating with the Toronto Defiant announcing their uh, American Tornado roster uh, on January 24th. And it's been a little bit quiet since then. I know we've had a couple announcements here and there. Um, but when I look at the list of February, it's really a lot less comparative to what we were seeing prior to that. But regardless of that, we're going to, of course, start with February here. Um, although I will have definitely talked about one maybe two of these oh uh, no i think i've talked about three of these the first three um i'm going to cover them anyways just to give you the complete picture of everything that's gone on in the overwatch league signings uh february and march thus far so we start things off on february 10th with the los angeles gladiators acquiring yaki then on february 17th the los angeles gladiators add Babel. then of course on february 20th the houston outlaws add violet of course, coming from the San Francisco Shock. I believe we talked about this on our previous episode. Next up, the Atlanta Rain acquired Donghack, uh, someone I had not heard of previously, um, but it sounds like has a fair amount of hype around him, and also it sounds like kind of fills in a bit of a gap on the tank lineup there where people had been a little concerned with the uh, overall composition of the team between the tank roll and the rest of the team. So that may be a little piece of the puzzle there. Also on February 21st, Toronto Defiant adds assistant coaches No Hill and Weeds. And I believe I talked about this on our last episode, although perhaps I did not. That was the half an episode. So let me just double check here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, no, I did not talk about this. So bit of an interesting one here. Of course, uh, they announced this on Twitter. Uh, just with a couple of tweets there. Uh, one, welcoming No Hill from the Los Angeles Valley in the last season. And then the other, welcoming Wheats, of course, coming up from, I believe, Redbird Esports uh, is his most recent place uh, down in or over in Contenders. Um, but what's really interesting about both of these things is that the, I'll start with the Wheats signing. In From what I've heard, the Wheats signing was actually predicted to be sort of the draw to get the rest of American Tornado. Um, there were some rumors early early on that they were that toronto was trying to bring wheats on board in an effort to say hey american tornado we want the rest of you because wheats of course has a history with a lot of that team now it's interesting because they kind of saved this to last i don't know if negotiations just took that long uh if they didn't know for sure if he'd be coming or not or perhaps perhaps the american tornado core is what attracted wheats now the other side of it and arguably the more interesting side of it but the side that i have a little bit less to comment on is the No Hill signing, right? Uh, no Hill seemingly uh, doesn't fit the identity that the rest of the team has. Um, but I'm very excited to see this because I think he probably brings a uh, certain analytic 
kind of mind to the game. And I'm very excited to see this. I know uh, head coach of the Toronto Defiant Casoras had uh, tweeted out that they trialed, I think he said, over 150 coaches and No Hill was leagues above the rest of them. So very excited to see this one and very excited to see it pay off. And also very excited to see uh, what impact No Hill can have. I know there was a lot of hype when he was moving to uh, the Los Angeles Valiant last season or when he was announced as their head coach. Um, And I don't think things necessarily panned out there. Of course, there's a lot of rumors about uh, the Valiant not paying their players, not paying their staff, um, you know, player salaries going to a single player. Uh, Strange things like that that the league should really interfere with. But anyways, my point is really exciting to see both of these signings. And I'm very curious to see where they both fall with the team. Moving on from there, France, Francisco, wow. February 22nd, San Francisco Shock adds Junbin. February February 24th, the Los Angeles Gladiators add Kai. And that was definitely a uh, bit of a shocker, a bit of a surprising announcement to hear that Kai was coming over, of course. Um, Kai coming from the Atlanta Reign and being one of those signings that uh, I think a lot of people had been kind of raising an eyebrow at, thinking, where's Kai? I think there were rumors that he had retired. Um, because he's certainly a uh, impressive and an impactful player. And right now, the Los Angeles Gladiators do, for all intents and purposes, have a pretty stellar lineup. Um, their DPS line in particular is, is pretty scary. Of course, they've got Kai on hitscan. They've then got Kevster and Yaki on flex DPS. But of course, uh, both Yaki and Kevster, I mean, Kevster can flex to a lot of stuff, but Yaki also known in a lot of ways for his for his hitscan play. So I'm really interested to see what happens here. I think they're, uh, the Gladiators' support lineup is maybe a little lacking. Uh, Funny Astro is certainly a great player. Um, same with Lastro. I, I'm not too sure about Babel. But in any case, interested to see what happens here. Dante, of course, on the tank roll. I uh, I do believe in Dante, um, at least to an extent. Do I think he's going to, you know, able to keep up with the top, top tanks? Not necessarily, but... Um, you know, with the DPS lineup like that, he might not have to, right? So we'll see what happens with the Gladiators, of course. Now that is all of February, February, and I can stop saying that month now. And that takes us into March, where we start with March 2nd. So first, the Soul Infernal got on the announcement board. And on the 2nd, they announced Mag. And on the 3rd, they announced Skewed. Um, So pretty interesting stuff here um let's take a look at souls roster real quick because i'm actually curious what they have announced okay they do have a whole well a five-man roster announced right now um that's right i forgot that soul infernal was of course the philadelphia fusion so they announced early early on that they were re-signing both mn3 and zest which is a scary dps lineup um i'm not sure if they'd announced that fixa main support fixa was returning or coming to them or not but of course they now have skewed in the flex support and mag on the tank line so a interesting team to say the least again i would worry that they're going to have a bit of the same similar season as what they had last season um where mn3 and zest can can carry the team or uh largely the the strength of the team comes from them and if they do well those performances will mostly be on the backs of mn3 and zest so definitely two impressive players there um and we'll see about the rest of the roster that's for sure after that, the Washington Justice, of course, after the Washington Justice first teased their roster unveiling, then they announced the schedule for their roster unveiling, despite many leaks. 
They finally announced on March 4th that Benbest, Flora, and Alpha Yi were coming. And then they announced on March 5th that Mir, FD God, and Tiru were coming. And J-Mac is added as assistant coach. And Danny is added as analyst. So first things first, let's look at that roster. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I lost them on my chart here. So we have Mirror and Benbest likely both on the tank roll. Um, it could be argued that Benbest is going to be the main tank player, given the history we've seen with Mirror, of course, in the Vancouver Titans, um, you know, starting as DPS and moving over to tank roll with, uh, I believe it was Junker Queen uh, when he flexed over there. Oh, he, he played the Doomfist as well. Um, then, of course, we have Flora on the hitscan DPS. Flora coming over from the New York Excelsior. Alpha Yi coming over from the Hangzhou Spark. FD God, uh, I don't recall where FD God was. And Tiro, of course, spending the very tail end of the season with the Hangzhou Spark as well. So, an, I mean, it's a roster, that's for sure. I think Alpha Yi is the shining star kind of thing. Um, although I'm very excited to see Ben Best return. Uh, I've heard, I was actually impressed with his perform his last performance in the league. Um, of course, he didn't get re-signed, and I believe he has been playing in contenders since. Uh, but from what I've heard, I think he's still got it, and I'm excited to see him kind of flex on people and, and make his return to the league. Tiru, I was impressed with during the playoffs. I actually thought he did well on the Hangzhou Spark. I have heard the opinions of others who I talked to who don't agree with that. In fact, I was told, were you watching the same Hangzhou Spark as I was? But I had thought that he made a, an impressive performance on the Kuriko, but I could be wrong. But anyways, Washington's team overall, like I say, I there are some pieces that I like, but this team just screams mid. And that's all I need to say about that because Washington ain't going to do nothing. Moving on from there, but still on March 5th, the Hangzhou Spark, of course, announced they're adding 20, who is formerly Elsa, which I didn't know until I had a friend tell me, and assistant coach Creed. And then, of course, they are also adding, most importantly, Leave. That's right. Former MVP of the league, Leave. The carry, the single carry performance on the Chengdu Hunters is now with the Hangzhou Spark. So that's an exciting one. It'll be really interesting to see what happens here. Let's take a look at their roster overall. They have Gushui in 20. They have Shy on Hitscan. They have Leave on Flex. They have Langsa on Main Support and Monk on Flex Support. I don't really know too much about that roster overall. Leave and Shy, though, is a scary, scary lineup. That is, if Leave can reach the heights of his MVP performance, partnered with Shy, who was absolutely sick and dominated on the Hangzhou Spark uh, during their playoff run at the end of last season. That is a scary DPS lineup, and I'm excited to see that. Uh, of course, I won't see too much of it because they're in the Eastern region, but I'm excited to hear about it. Now, I actually just realized that I actually skipped over the Washington Justice. Uh, J-Mac is added as assistant coach and Danny as analyst. I don't have a ton to say about that. Uh, J-Mac, obviously, getting another chance in the league. He's been around the league for quite a while now. And of course, Danny also getting another chance, although not, you know, as a coach or anything like he was previously. But of course, Danny coming from the um, Atlanta Reign and Danny also being the head coach for Team Canada in the Overwatch World Cup. So exciting stuff there. Now that is actually going to do it for the Overwatch League 2023 offseason trade tracker. 
And that's all the announcements we have. And now I'm just going to take a quick look at the rosters here just to see where exactly we're at and who needs to announce players. So starting at the top, Atlanta Reign currently has a full roster of seven. Boston Uprising has a full roster of eight. Chengdu Hunters currently have a roster of five, which meets the minimum required for now. But they do technically, they will need six players at the start of the season. Currently, they have no one listed for hitscan DPS. So a little bit interesting there. You have to assume that's where they're going to add someone, but we'll see what happens. Dallas Fuel have a roster of five right now. They have one player in each role, so we'll see who they add. Florida Mayhem do have the minimum of six. I have a feeling they won't be adding anyone. They're pro that's probably their budget there. The Guangzhou Charge have a roster of five right now, uh, which is a bit of an interesting roster, um, but we'll see what happens there. They obviously have to sign one more. Hangzhou Spark do make that minimum of six with their newly announced players in 20 and leave. Houston Outlaws only have five right now, so they need to announce one more. The Los Angeles Gladiators, of course, running a roster of seven, so they're probably done with announcements for the season. Los Angeles Valiant, of course, have no players announced. London Spitfire currently only have five as well, with two hitscan DPS and no flex DPS. It's, you know, plausible that Sparker or Backbone will flex over to flex DPS, but they need to sign one more, so there will be something coming. Nurek Excelsior currently have no roster announced as well, so they'll need at least five soon, but definitely six. Vegas Eternal have five, so they'll need one more. San Francisco Shock have six. Soul Dynasty have one right now. That is profit on the flex DPS. Soul Infernal have a roster of five. Shanghai Dragons currently have no players announced. How insane is that? I just realized. That's crazy, man. Holy cow. No players announced, but we do know their head coach is Coach Moon. <laughs> Interesting. Toronto Defiant, of course, have seven players right now with Kaluj, Hydron, Speedily, Sam, OG, Ultraviolet, and Sir Majed. Vancouver Titans currently have a roster of five, and the Washington Justice have a roster of six, so Washington probably done with announcements as well. Now, one thing I do want to point out. We know teams in the past have had rosters of five, one below the league minimum of six. We also know teams in the past have signed, in air quotes, Bob from accounting as their sixth player. Now, that means, obviously, their five-person lineup is the five they run with. Those five players simply play all the time. They don't have any subs. If you go back and listen to the interview that uh, myself and Chris over on Ready, Set, Poem did with Baroy, the GM for the Vancouver Titans, we actually touched on this topic, and it was inadvertent because we had actually wanted to discuss it prior, um, but we didn't have the chance. And then when we were talking to Baroy, it kind of came up naturally. Um... And Baroy said, or told us, that if they wanted to, uh, they could do something like a player coach, right? Sign one of their, their coaches as a player as well. Um, and that way they technically meet the league minimum of six, but they only have the roster of five. Baroy very much hinted that this is what they're going to do. He did very much say they have a roster of five. This is their core of five guys. They don't want to be subbing. This is their five. And he kind of very much said that they're putting all their eggs in this. They're putting five eggs in this basket and it is these players. That was very interesting because to our knowledge that, you know, Bob from accounting idea wasn't very cool, didn't float, didn't sit well with a lot of people. It kind of is a bit of a competitive integrity thing. Now, signing a player coach 
uh, sorry, signing a coach as a player or whatever, however you want to phrase that, is a bit of an interesting workaround that, right? It's not saying that, oh, it's Bob from accounting. It's not some random person from the organization. They are at least someone that's involved directly with the team, in theory, with the day-to-day operations. So I kind of get how that bends the rules a little bit. But it was interesting because on today's episode of Plat Chat, I believe Custa and Jaws brought this up. And one of them actually, I think it was Custa, said he heard that you cannot do that anymore, that you're not allowed to do that Bob from accounting thing. Now, I would be curious if they know that you can still do the player coach thing, at least from what Baroy hinted at to us. So I wanted to bring that up because I found it interesting that they talked about it on Plat Chat and kind of said, no, I don't think they can do that. And kind of implied that all of these teams need to have six players announced. But we'll see what happens there. I'm very I'm very curious to see how all this pans out. Because I think we're going to have teams that only technically have five players. But have a player coach, right? You could see Coach Askoft on the Vancouver Titans being a quote-unquote player coach who never actually plays, right? So especially with how many teams we have outstanding right now. And how many teams don't have a full roster right now. But... They've got time in their eyes, I suppose. So with all of that said, that's going to take us to the end of the episode. Given this is my first episode in a while, my first full episode in a while, and I did have to get over that cold that I had, I can feel my voice fading, and I know it's been fading for a little bit now. So let's head on over to the outro. Very well. Here we are at the end of episode 101 of One Man Watchpoint. This has, of course, been an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Of course, if it's your first time here, I appreciate you. I thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff, leave a review, whatever. But if you're not, if you've been here for a long time, or even just a couple of episodes, thank you so much for coming back. As you know, I'm your host, Sir Dr. Jam. That's at Sir DRJM. You can find me over on Twitter where you can tweet at me or DM me with questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, inquiries, whatever you want, topics for me to talk about on the show as they relate to Overwatch, the Overwatch League, Blizzard games, games in general, whatever you want, pop culture, TV, whatever, movies, I'll talk about it all. Just hit me up over on Twitter at Sir DRJM. I'd love to incorporate your stuff on the show. You can, of course, find this podcast and all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends and all that jazz. And of course, again, if you enjoyed what you heard here, I implore you to check out the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant, available on podcast services everywhere. But I especially implore you to go check out the most recent couple episodes and the next uh, batch of upcoming episodes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we've interviewed Sean Miller uh, more than once at this point. In fact, in our latest interview, Chris goes as far as to call him a friend of the show now, as he's returned. We interview Baroy, GM for the Vancouver Titans. We will tomorrow be talking to Kasaurus, head coach of the Toronto Defiant. Uh, as I mentioned, you may be listening to this episode of One Man Watchpoint while I am talking to Kasaurus. We will then be interviewing Papa Punk, of course, father of Punk, the solo tank for the Vancouver Titans. And finally, Till Wetterman, a name you probably don't know, Senior Director, Global Team Operations, with Overactive Media, of course, the parent company of the Toronto Defiant. So, we got some good connections, dude. And by all means, I I applaud Chris for his interviewing skills. He's great. I jump in every now and then with a silly little question, and then I ask Baroy about Depay, and it turns out that Depay was there before Baroy, and I look like a mutt, but I digress. It's exciting stuff, and it's great to connect with these people. And you should go listen to the interviews because they're awesome. Uh, 
And finally, one more plug, of course. I will also plug uh, the recent episode of Realm, the Realm Maintenance Podcast. Realm Maintenance, of course, was kind enough to have me on the show to talk about everything Overwatch. This was, of course, uh, the February 27th episode, so episode number 334, where I interviewed with Ease about everything Overwatch, about everything One Man Watchpoint, and, of course, podcasting galore. That's going to do it for this episode, episode 101 of One Man Watchpoint. We will catch you in two weeks' time or on the Ready, Set, Poem podcast later. Yujin no Kei